This episode of Real Life Sci-Fi is brought to you by Epic Reads and the new sci-fi fantasy Heart of Iron by Ashley Poston. New York Times bestselling author Victoria Schwab says Heart of Iron delivers a delightful cast and non-stop thrills. The pages flew by and I couldn't put it down. Don't miss this epic adventure perfect for fans of Six of Crows and Firefly. Pick up Heart of Iron today. Available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. Do you do audiobooks? I tried, but the one that I tried to listen to was too quiet, and I was cooking. (laughs) Feral Audio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Real Life Sci-Fi with Wade and Willie. I'm Wade. I'm Willie. And our special guest today is our good old friend, Ford Austin, director, producer, actor Ooh. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, How's thanks for being here, man. Dude, thank you so much for bringing me in. Yeah, so this is the show where we talk about sci-fi and conspiracies and uh, stuff like that, science fiction-y type stuff. Anything paranormal, anything that seems like it... It'd make a good sci-fi book, but it's real. <laughs> right. And we like to start off uh, by sort of like gauging where you are in your beliefs. Mm. It's it's painless. Okay. All right. Um, uh. <laughs> like, do you... It's easy. Do you believe in aliens? Uh, yes. Do you believe that aliens are on Earth? I believe they are, sure. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you believe in... Ghosts? Um, well, I've got too many friends that make those fake ghost shows, so I don't. <laughs> I go back and forth when they tell me about all the producing they do to make shit move and ghost shit happen. But you don't have a, like a personal ghost story. I, I don't really have anything that's a ghost story. It could have just been me as a kid getting freaked out in a big house growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I never saw a ghost. Oh, wait, no, wait, I do. I have a fucking great one. Really? Actually. Yeah. Right. So I was in San Diego, and I was uh, doing this play, and this friend of mine comes down from L.A. who's a, he's like a professional amateur ghost hunter in his life. And a really great guy, David Stay. I put him in a couple of movies. And Is um, he like one of the ghost bros? He's not one of the ghost bros, but he's a... <laughs> That's good. He I is a like bro that bros. he's into ghosts. So, But okay. listen to this. So he's like... Let's, there was this graveyard across the street from the theater that was uh, as part of like old town San Diego where all these people were hung to death. And uh, so we go over there and he's like, oh, there's going to be some fucking ghost action here, brother. And uh, I have a, you know, in the old days we had a camera instead of a phone. So like, you know, you pull out your old shitty camera and he starts pointing his camera at the sky as we're walking through the tombstones and goes, uh, every time he clicks it, he goes, show yourself show yourself show yourself and i'm like thinking this is such bullshit and uh and so i start fucking around with my camera going oh show yourself show yourself show yourself and i so i look up at the sky and i see there's like nothing there and i go show yourself and then i look at the camera and it's like foggy with this face in the camera and i'm like oh and the sky is fucking clear. Just really stars. Wow. And I was like, that was a trip. That was the closest I ever came. So how did, wait, he just, he just wanted to go to the graveyard because 
I don't even think he gave a shit about seeing my show. I think he researched that there was like this old courthouse where they hung a lot of people in the 1800s and he was interested okay, in ghost right. hunting. <laughs> do you have that That's picture? That's pretty cool. I don't have the picture. Oh, man. Do you think, do you, think you have it somewhere? I'll probably have it in. Some, Some shitty com- old hard One drive. of those old computers sitting in the closet <laughs> or the garage. Yeah. Uh, See, that's where my UFO photos and videos are like from some the old, first one. I'm like, yeah, like an old snow laptop. Yeah, man, that sucks. Like none of my <laughs> none of my external drives work anymore. No. I don't I don't know what happened. I think the computers just decided they didn't want them to work yeah. anymore. Planned obsolescence. So it's definitely. just like, yeah, just have all this shit. I don't know. That's the most like that's the closest I came to a ghost story. Okay. Um, what about Bigfoot? Do you believe in Bigfoot? Hell no. <laughs> what? Well, uh, I think some dude. I didn't realize you had a play recently about this, but what about the JFK assassination? Okay, so I, yeah, I played John F. Kennedy in in order to. Can do I play. hear your JFK? Oh, my tell, J- wait, tell your beliefs in the JFK conspiracy. Okay, in the well, JFK. hold on, yeah, let me go get him. <laughs> hey, Johnny, Johnny, uh, get in here. here. <laughs> All right, I am. Uh, I am here. Hello. What, uh, how how are you there? Nice to meet you. So the um, thing that we were all. Uh, doing was uh, uh, this production for uh, four months and they were all written the script was written by uh, Daniel Henning who basically is the uh, foremost John F. Kennedy assassination theorist of the past uh, 20 years did you know that no and he uh, also runs the blank theater over on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and uh, so we did the play and his whole first uh, two weeks of uh, rehearsal there was uh, to have us sit and watch videos and read books and indoctrinate us into the uh, real truth behind the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United you, you States. You mean you? Oh, yes. Sure. But of course, yeah. So, um, was it real? So, it's real conspiratorial. And what, what's the actual? Well, it's not very uh, conspiratorial as much as it is. Um, truth-telling and um, <laughs> the whole thing is set to the uh, Julius Caesar uh, uh, Shakespeare text which has uh, Brutus and Cassius and all the others who are uh, planning the assassination of uh, president or uh, you know who was it? whatever Caesar was what, yeah, what was I he? Don't know what he was he was, uh, he yeah, was the a, head honcho of yeah, uh, ancient Rome the, so we uh, uh, so uh, yeah his Emperor Caesar right. so he is assassinated, and the uh, main characters in this play were all turned from uh, Brutus to Lyndon B. Johnson, mm-hmm. Cassius to J. Edgar Hoover, okay, and then uh, Marcus was uh, Bobby Kennedy, my brother, right. And the whole thing centered around the uh, days before they head off to Dallas, Fort Worth, and then to Dallas, where they were assassinated. And it goes up until the uh, moment just after Bobby Kennedy's death in 1968. Okay. So on my days off, I did find a uh, Marilyn Monroe impersonator and uh, found ways to uh, hang out with her. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very um, engrossing character to play, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And um, found up many things, which were that uh, on the day of the assassination in Dealey Plaza, there was, uh, well, you know, they stated that, uh, who was, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was uh, 
inside the uh, sixth floor of the observatory of the bank depository and then ran down to the lunchroom which i believe was on the second floor where he was discovered drinking a uh, coca-cola with no sweat whatsoever on his brow yeah I, I just I just got in I just found all this information out recently because there was a new thing out where they were talking about people that ran into Lee Harvey right after the president was killed. He, fo- he walked out of the building yeah. and talked to a reporter. He knew a couple people from the lunchroom. Really? I didn't There's uh, actually a very crazy. famous photograph of the uh, men on the back of the motorcade looking back towards the side of the building. And you see someone that looks identical to Lee Harvey Oswald standing there on the edge of the building looking straight out at the motorcade. Okay. Um, so then there was other things. So, for instance, uh, all, radio ser- ser- all radio service in Dallas was shut down for two hours. Again, in Washington, D.C., all communications were shut down for two hours. And um, at the end of this video that I was shown, you don't see a hundred people on the streets of Dealey Plaza running up to the book depository. You see 100 people running straight for the fence in the grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. All so of the people the in Dealey Plaza are running towards the why would, but why would you run towards where you heard this? You wouldn't run towards it. You're trying to find him. You're trying to capture the person who's running away. I'm not. I'm fucking away. running the other way. Well, these people were not looking back towards where something was shot. They all said they heard the gun come from that direction. And then there's also the, uh, you know, the evidence of how his head exploded in the car. Sure. And not really so, just how it are, exploded, but how it was moved. What are your actual... Do you... Do, I, I'm assuming the play has kind of, has kind of like, talked you into oh, it's, a lot of. I've drank the Kool Aid, yes. Yeah, so yeah. so you're into whatever that, whatever that. I'm into is. whatever that is now, <laughs> and um, you know we're planning on taking the play to New York City this next year and uh, doing mm. it off Broadway and carrying Whoa, it as cool. high as we yeah. can. Congratulations! And, uh, thank you. So, I will probably be living in this uh, brain situation I'm in with the conspiracy of John F. Kennedy for a long time. But it goes for a few years after you die, so you get like a lot of time to just chill out. Oh, at, at, during the play, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I die on about page twenty-five and uh, goes see, up to about page sixty-four. Yeah, so. I would love that. That's like a part. For oh, but me. I do have to get up off the couch and and go back and be a ghost for a while. Oh, so. you do really? If it was just, I could just wait until a curtain call. I yeah, you like, could just start drinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so I had to. Uh, Really pay attention to what was going on in the uh, show. That sucks. <laughs> and uh, go out there, yeah. Um, but I, wait, I just want to what, mention a couple of, of the great actors. That was The Tragedy of JFK as told by William Shakespeare. And it was written by Daniel Henning, and I played John F. Kennedy. And uh, Chad Brannon played Bobby Kennedy. And a gentleman named Time Winters, who uh, was very talented. He played Lyndon B. Johnson. And... Uh, Tony Abedamarco, who runs the Skylight Theater over on Vermont Avenue, he uh, he played Hoover. And then all the other people were wonderful. You know, you had, now i got to name everybody. <laughs> 17 people in the play. Casey, uh, Casey McKinnon, Brett Collier, and uh, Susan, who played Lady uh, B. Johnson. <laughs> it's like I'm losing it. I've had too much to drink here. So, uh, 
basically, it was a wonderful experience. And I made 17 new actor friends and a sea of other producer friends. And Noah Wiley produced it, so we got to work oh, with cool. him. And, yeah. Um, and the Skylight Theater, I, I had never been inside of there. So I found out that it's either going to be a really great theater for a long time or it's going to be a kick-ass gastropub right on Ventura Avenue. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so it sounds like you believe in aliens, you don't believe in Bigfoot. You're kind of like the middle. Because well, I don't I mean, believe anything. So tell me how you could believe in Bigfoot. Do you believe in Bigfoot, Willie? Oh, man. I... <laughs> Is that, did I open something? I, I mean, well, I, I think I think that there's the possibility that Bigfoot is is a, a a creature that evolved that we just haven't seen that has gotten good at not not being found. I actually, I, but I also could believe that Bigfoot is a is a creature that can trans or can transport between <laughs> dimensions and is an interdimensional being. And it just gets better and better. Where is Bigfoot? Where does where's most of the Bigfoot sightings? Where do most of the Bigfoot I think they're sightings? They're around here, right? Aren't they up there's in a the lot in Big California. Sur area? There's a lot in uh there's a lot in Oregon and th th they're actually everywhere. There, there's there's like been a few recently in uh, Yellowstone and uh it's So like, mostly West Coast. He's a West Coast guy. Yeah, but then you you know you get into the other countries and the Yeti and the and the uh, the, the folklore the Australians have one too. Have like, you ever wanted to play Bigfoot in a movie <laughs> or a guy that dresses up as Bigfoot to con people? Well, I have you ever thought about that? I, I wouldn't mind that because, like, yes, I would. Cast I, you in I, I understand I cast that you in a most. I think most Bigfoot sightings are are uh, uh, hoaxes, but when you hear about people that. Because some people have men in black experiences with their Bigfoot. Uh, I mean, evidence. I feel like we need to get together after this and and, and beat Bigfoot. out beat out a little bit of a interdimensional Bigfoot story, oh, and then just like go into production. I like that idea. <laughs> I love that idea. Interdimensional um, Bigfoot. Yeah, because no one's done that, and that's like a, that's a stupid movie. That's a dumb movie. And as we said earlier, we like making stupid movies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he's got to have because according to the guy who who there's a guy that, he's got to have a boss. Yeah, <laughs> there's a guy who talk who talks to these uh, bigfoots, big feet, and and telepathically, and he says that uh, that they were brought here by, by gray aliens to take care of to take care of the earth. Mm. It's just I don't know. I mean, In the most offhand way possible. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if you want to take care of the other, like, get rid of us. How they're just, not doing they're that? sneaking around picking up trash. <laughs> <laughs> Cigarette butts on the freeway. This doesn't go here. <laughs> Who direct redirected the river? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Well, so we will talk about that movie later. You're Definitely. a very okay. You're a very specific guest um, because this topic is kind of catered around you. Uh, so it's a it's a bit of a departure episode because normally it's just kind of really Free wide form. open. Yeah, um, Willie, I don't know how you want to like get into this. <laughs> well, um, I think I think that you just tell your story, and then and then we'll pick your brain from both sides. You don't want to like or... preface it for the audience at all. I don't. I can I can preface. Yeah, it for yeah. You I don't know. I mean, it's pretty. I've gotten pretty good at like canning it <laughs> for everybody. Um, all right. Yeah. So yeah. basically, you know, in oh, but I do need to just tell you that I, I'll probably like if you want to not, not believe, believe any of it. Okay, I think you should not believe it. I okay, think you should. <laughs> right. I think you should totally call me a fraud and just say that's <laughs> bullshit. Okay. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be a balanced show. Mm -hmm. And um, so, in a nutshell, 
I was driving home from the studio from, uh, I was working like 16 hours at this, uh, the, the lot. I'm driving up Highland. I had this stupid race car Porsche back then, convertible like every asshole. Uh-huh. That thinks he's somebody in a Hollywood producer bullshit. So I decided I needed to drive it oh, you 90 miles that, huh? an hour. Oh, I did. <laughs> 90 miles an hour on Highland at about 3 in the morning going home over to the hill. And uh, right as I got to about Franklin, where it turns to go to the Celebrity Center... My car spun out going 90 miles an hour and slid sideways into a pole. Okay. And uh, on the driver's side. So I was driving north on Highland, spun out, and I hit the pole on the driver's side right at my hip. And this thing was a race car. It had all the airbags taken out by some guy. Oh, my God. For street racing. And um, I smashed the, like, if you look, I smashed the windshield out with my left eye. And the car folded around my body. And, uh... And Did then you, I, you just couldn't make the turn. You just skidded around the turn, or I was. Do you even I remember? Out. No. All, what I remember is feeling centrifugal force and having my eyes closed. Oh, fuck. And yelling out, "No shit!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then waking up in the windshield with glass all around me and the uh, the headlights ahead of me, and um, and looking up and I'm. And I'm thinking, well, this is it. That's this is the story of Ford Austin, right? And uh, I'm trying to breathe, so like something's going on with my body, my lungs. So I just try and breathe there. And then about 15 minutes later, or it was 15 minutes later. I was told later. I don't know what the time was. This uh, firefighters walking up the street with the uh, jaws of life, and I say, oh no. Um, <laughs> thank God you're here. Get me out of here. I want to live. So I was having some real soul-searching moments in this car. Uh-huh. Get me out of here. I want to live. And uh, and he fires up the jaws of life. And you know, I'd made like, I think I was shooting Dahmer versus Gacy at the time. Uh-huh. And I was also shooting some movie with George Romero's son, where it was like people are getting chopped up and shit. So I had a lot of horror stories in my body at that moment. And uh, I thought it was a chainsaw. And I was in such shock that I thought what they do is they cut you in pieces because <laughs> they don't want to hurt the car. <laughs> And they put you back together at the hospital. But I said, no, fuck it. Let me hear. I'll, I'll figure it out myself. <laughs> and, uh, and I collapsed. And I just, I woke up. I don't know how long it was next to that. I was standing next to the car, like a few feet from it. And I saw, I was barefoot. And I looked back at the car. And I saw this guy carving away at the car, bending the doors off of it. And I looked over here and there were these two cli- these two kids playing in the grass like throwing something at a barrel and uh, two little redhead kids I'd never seen them in my life and uh, and then there was like a tree over here and and then there were three figures up in up ahead in front of a building and I so over to my right is the car and they're cutting it out and there's three figures ahead of me and then to my left is these two kids throwing something at a barrel and a tree. So I, I walk over to the kids and I say, what are you doing? And, say, oh. and they were like real like exploitation kids. I don't know where my <laughs> mind got it. But they were like, I was like, what are you kids doing? Well, our pappy told us that we got to throw this through this barrel so we each get a quarter. And I'm just like, what the fuck does this mean? And I reach up and I pull some bark off the tree and it turns into a feather that I peel down the tree and it's like bleeding inside of it. And then I, I walk over to these 
three figures up in the street, and one of them's my great grandfather, and he's dressed in like this vest, which I didn't know much about his life. Did you know your great grandfather? Never met him. Never okay. met him. I just, but I recognized him from photos. Mm-hmm. And next to him was his son, who was dressed in a suit with a fedora and a little mustache, and uh, he was dressed to go to work. And then to the right of them was this door of white light, like uh, just a doorway. Like if you just if the door was open, you just see light, mm-hmm, like a quantum leap type. Uh... Yeah, like a quantum leap moment. And uh, so I look at my stepfather, and they're they're both my age. So I look at my great grandfather and my stepfather, my great grandfather, and I say, uh, he's smiling, just sort of gentle, and I say, thank you so much for doing everything in your life that allowed me to have a better life. And uh, he just nodded and smiled, and his son goes, well, don't be like me. Don't do what I did. Go out and do something for yourself that nobody else can claim. And I, he worked for his dad his whole life. He didn't get to go off and live his own dream. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at this door. Is that true? That he... There's yeah. like a, there's like a, a, what would that be, your... Of my grandfather. So my great-grandfather. Oh, your grandfather. And then my grandfather. Oh. So like two generations ahead of me. Okay. And, uh... And my grandfather, what he worked his whole life for his father's company and um, died pretty early, like 61 or so. So then I look at this doorway of light and I see all these angel wings fluttering through it, like millions of them. And I think... uh, Just disembodied wings? Just wings, yeah. Okay. And then the doorway changes to the shape of a person. So it's like you, like but a, like if you ran through a wall in a cartoon. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like right there in front of me. and uh, But it's made of like energy. And um, and then all three of them push me back and I fall back into my body. And I, I think that's when they told me that that's when they used the some electric paddles to shock me back to life. And that's like, that was the first time I died. I died three times. Okay, before you go on, there was your great grandfather, your grandfather, and then who was the third? It was the door. It was a doorway of white light. Oh, it was shaped like it. a person, and then got it, it got changed. It. And then it changed in front of me from a doorway to the shape of a person, like that as I was you. looking at got it. Got it. So it was like the three of them, like the okay. energy person and my relatives. And uh, oh, but when I looked into the light, it vacillated from white to pink, orange yellow all very silvery kind of silver tones Mm -hmm. um so it felt like there was like some real depth it wasn't just like a a white thing right there right sure it was like real depth to it um so then i then i cycled through all of these because i was in a coma at that point because they were like sedating me putting me into a medically induced coma. so they'd like bring me back to life and i was like putting me into a medically induced coma at that point because every rib was shattered. My pelvis was shattered into 10 pieces. My hip was broken. My lungs collapsed. My kidneys failed. My uh, spleen had to be taken out because it ruptured and I was full of blood. Like they cut me open and there was like all this blood. And then uh, my urethra was severed (laughs) from uh, bone going through my body from my hip. And then... uh, I had a brain injury 
from smashing the windshield out with my left eye. Jesus. My left eye came out, so they had to surgically uh, re-implant gross. it. And uh, it was very gross. And then, uh, you know, I had a brain bleed, and I was paralyzed from the nerve injuries and the crush injuries in my hips. So I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. And, uh, like, I woke up in the hospital after being in a coma for two weeks, and I was cycling through all these coma dreams that, like, when you're in a medically induced coma, you wind up hearing everything in the room, but your eyes are closed. God, you do. Yeah, and your mind creates something that goes with it. But it still feels like a dream. It doesn't feel like real Mine felt real. I thought it was all real. I thought it was all real. I thought I was being, my wife started playing uh, like Ventura Highway and uh, Carol King and all these like 70s mm-hmm. musicians. So I thought I was riding in a car up the California coast in 1970 to go to John Lennon's house in Malibu. So it's like that moment right before you wake up where you're Where you hear a TV, you like, hear a TV yeah. in front of you and you're like, oh, and you think it's real. Yeah. But you're just hearing like Or your dream is just like. I, I wake up to the radio, so a lot of times my dream will just start taking the form of whatever that's they're what saying happened on the to radio. me. That's what happened to me. Yeah. Um, Only for like how long? Two weeks. But, eternity. It was an eternity to me. I thought I lived like a hundred different lives. Like at one moment, shit, I was like, dude. I was flying to give a speech as a monk to Singapore on Singapore Airlines and it was because all the nurses are Filipino so I thought I was like going to some Pacific Rim country and then there was this other time like my wife's talking to me so I dreamt that we were hip hop dancers on a pirate themed uh, ship that was dry docked in Florida and we had like <laughs> but bent, bent you, around our knees and our elbows and shit. It was but like are you enjoying this, or are you like, is it like Johnny got his gun, where you're like, get me out of this shit? I didn't know it was a dream. I thought it was real. Okay. So I didn't know. I didn't think. Oh, I'm gonna get out. I was like, oh man, this life is really bizarre. Yeah. You know, it's a really bizarre life. But that's like, I want to get back to the near death experience because you know I died three times. Yeah. And uh, when I woke up from the coma. I remembered having these three separate experiences where I would be sitting at my desk in Toluca Lake and then I would get sucked down by my feet underneath the desk and be sucked down through a tube that was like stuck to my body where I couldn't breathe with wires and jelly and shit inside the tube and it was all pink like a birth canal. Yeah. And getting sucked down through the tube and then I I like that shit on the Matrix. Like that. And then I'm hovering over a, a room of pink clouds and I hear muffled voices but I don't know what the hell they are and then I'm sort of floating down getting closer to what's in the room and it's obviously a room at that point and there's all these black dots down there and a table in between everything with a body on the table and I think that it's like some rich cabal of people that buy people and eat them for pleasure <laughs> and uh, so I I'm floating down and then I see that the top, the black dots are at the tops of their heads and they're walking around. And then I find that I'm the person on the table and it's just fucking doctors and family members and that I'm in a, an emergency or, or, you know, an operating room. And then, uh, I get sucked away like right as I'm like down and like, I'm starting to like wake up. I get sucked back away up, up to my desk, whatever that is. And then I, and I think, oh, that's that's it. I'm done. And then a little while later, 
I get sucked. You know, I go through some other dreams, hearing shit. And then another time I get sucked back down. I'm like at my desk and I get sucked back down through the, uh, the same canal. And then I go back into the room and now it's like people are trying to lie to whatever this force is that's pulling me away. Like there's some definitive force that's pulling me out of my body and pulling me away from this room up to wherever it is. Not my desk. I think my mind was creating whatever that desk was and I'm just getting sucked away. So then that happens three times and third time, like my family lies in my reality, my family lies and I get to stay there. Like whatever that weird power is that's above and pulling me away says you can stay, you can stay. And then uh, after two weeks, I wake up from a coma and um, I'm paralyzed and I can't talk and I can't see out of my left eye. And uh, my wife leans in and says, there's been an accident. You're at Cedar sinai Hospital. And uh, she's like, your family's here. I'm here. We love you. You need to rest. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. <clears throat> and, uh, and then she says, rest. So I go to sleep. And, you know, I faded and out of consciousness for the next couple weeks. And then finally, after six weeks there, two weeks in the coma, and then another four weeks, I finally am, like, alert enough to, like, they put a passamere valve in my throat so I can talk. And then I start learning to talk again. Wait, what, do you, what is that? Well, when you get a tracheotomy, they stab a hole in your throat so that yeah. your lungs can fill. Uh-huh. And by doing that, you have a hole in your throat. So there's no way for you to talk. Like if you had a hole in your throat right now, right. you couldn't, it, there's, there's like two holes. It's like, it's like if you, if you have a, a can of beer and you shotgun it, there's two holes. Yeah. Or it's like so one, they of those, compete with each other. one of those flutes where you have to hold down. Right. Like. You need to have only one hole that goes to your nose and your mouth. If you have a separate hole, you can't, or like I could not use my vocal cords. It was it. <sighs> I was all I could do. Right. I couldn't even say that. I couldn't even make any noise. Yeah. So then the Pastamir valve, it goes into the hole in your throat. And the fucking nurse, she keeps it. So you don't get to hold on to it yourself. So you can't even like talk. You can't even like say anything. Like if you want something, they take your thing away. So just make sure your patient stays quiet. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. They control your voice. Wow. Dude, so then, uh, so then, you know, it's like I find. Over time, I'm like at home, like six months later, I'm finally at home after six months in the hospital. Jesus. I'm h home for the first time. I literally lived at Cedars for six months. Whoa. And, um, and I went home in a wheelchair with my hips shattered into 10 pieces with a suitcase sucking my stomach closed. And it was like this motorized suitcase with a tube coming out of my stomach that would just go just sucking it 24 hours a day. And uh, in the wheelchair, and uh, I still couldn't read, and I still couldn't write, and I was still paralyzed on the left side of my body. So that's how they sent me home, fully recovered. Right. You go home. Yeah. yeah. You're you're well now. You're you're recovered. And uh, so I spent four months until I finally got a hip surgeon at UCLA to surgically rebuild my hips and my pelvis. And then I got a urethra surgeon to surgically connect my urethra. 
And that was wonderful. It was the best surgery in the world. Oh, they turn you upside down and just slit it all open and just oh, stitch it all back together. Jesus. And they make you walk right after it. Oh, God. Because uh, you have to. You just have to. So then, uh, a f- like, a year later, I turn to my wife and I say, Hey, you remember that great tunnel I discovered that would give you the power to go from one dimension to the next? Like, I did, found, I, I did it like three times. And she's like... No. What are you talking about? It felt that real that I thought it was real. And I thought I discovered something. Jesus. And the cool shit about it that I kind of held on to was I died three times. The last time I died for three minutes. And um, I had that vision, that feeling three times of going through that tunnel three times. Mm -hmm. So that's why it felt really real to me. Because what is the chance that it happened three times and I died three times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless something happened. And, uh, you know, I've since talked to a lot of people who I'm now part of this foundation called Artists for Trauma where we use art to help people who are, like, fucked up in life. Like, one of our friends who founded it, she actually crashed in a helicopter and had part of her foot amputated, and she was dragged out of the helicopter by her daughter whose back was broken in the ca- in the crash and people died in this crash and she survived it and she's now fully recovered and you know we find artists to help other people recover like if you're blind we have people who help you sculpt things to really get this tactile feeling of your hands and it helps stimulate your visual cortex and um you know there's other things like painting for artists really helps photography really helps writing a lot of this stuff so artists for trauma is what we do with that now i don't know how i got onto that it's a great foundation let it go the uh the thing about the near-death experience for me that really came to a head was um in 2000 so that accident was march 9th 2011 right so about the summer of 2012 so like a year and a half later I went to my great-grandfather's fishing cabin in Wisconsin, and I'm flipping doors open, and I find the vest that he was wearing on the side of the street hanging on the back of a door. And you'd never seen that before? I'd never seen it. I didn't even know know that he was a fisherman. I thought he went there and hunted. I thought it was a hunting vest. It's such a traumatic story that I don't even want to poke holes in it, but... Here we come. Here we go. You can... You can... You can buy a vest. Even with memory, no, <laughs> you bought a vest. <laughs> yeah. No, even with memories, you transpose things. Like, yeah, doctors told me that in the beginning. They said you need to be really careful and write this stuff down because stories change over time. You right. elaborate naturally. You you punctuate things, and um, so I mean, yeah, you're right. And I I really try and like keep as close to the basic elements of it as possible because of that. Because like okay, what's what's the most interesting? Uh, f- sorry, um, thank you for telling your story. I'm so like speechless. Like, oh yeah, I was hospitalized eight times on two coasts, eight different months. Why did you go to the other coast? Because my wife created a talk show out there, so I was like, oh, we'll go to New York. And You're I was, trying to recover, and she creates oh, a yeah. fucking talk and I, got, and I got sick again, and I had to go back in the wheelchair in New York City. <laughs> no, it's a good thing she did, because of the money shit. Oh, the I mean, insurance. Because yeah, insur- oh, it was $7.5 million in hospital bills. 
Oh my goodness! Damn. Covered by the Motion Picture Editors Guild. I don't. Uh, I don't doubt it. I mean, a six month stay in a dude. In a there was a week, five days at Cedars for some reason, without doctors coming into your room and giving you X rays right. and without blood tests and without all this stuff. Besides the room, the room was three hundred and fifty five thousand dollars every five days. What the fuck? What the fuck? What? And now it's like. We're, I mean, this. You should start a show about healthcare. Oh, I, no, it's my, too infuriating. I think the biggest, <laughs> the biggest conspiracy in America the is the American Medical Association. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that system. But we of, should very quickly get off that. Yeah, subject. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the most interesting thing that was in the to Nixon me administration that about, all started <laughs> about your story is okay. So, like, the moment. When you were out, the first moment you were outside of your body, right, standing next to the car, because because to me there is a. I just want to, if it's where I'm picturing, there is a church like right there. That church is like it was right. So, okay, you're driving. You just there's the the building, the there's apartment like building, the apartment curve. building, yeah, and there's the apartment building right there with like the subway and the Starbucks in the bottom of it. Uh, it's that old vintage bullshit building, and Franklin is right here. Mm-hmm. The church is over here. Mm-hmm. There's four old-looking, sort of old Hollywood-type style street lamps. Like they go like this. They're black and they have the bulb coming down like a pendant. And there's like an empty lot right there, right? There's a, no, well, that no, that's on the other side of the street by the church. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of that church that's got the big AIDS ribbon on the front of it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's the one right on the corner of Franklin and. and that's a great yeah. church. Yeah. What do you mean, just architecturally? No, it's just or? a great church. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> so, Good job, that church. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so you're right. Yeah, like, the church is right there. I never made that connection. But you're, but you're, um, I wasn't you, very spiritual before the car accident. The moments outside of your body, like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not looking for evidence of, I, I, well, I guess, did you, do you have, like, so when you saw the jaws of life and you saw the the, the firemen, I was up awake. And stuff. I was awake, looking at them. Oh yeah, yeah. I was awake looking at them when I first saw them. So so when you you saw them, and then when you went out into the street, and you saw the the three figures and the kids, and you and yourself basically, and the tree, yeah, and then the car behind me. Like, um, th- this is what always blows me away is the fact that. If your consciousness can survive, science says that there is no consciousness, and if there is, your brain created it. Your brain created you. But I'm. Uh, but if you can be yourself outside of yourself without your brain, it's always weird to me to conceptualize. Oh, I'm not using my physical senses, but you could see things. And and so when you saw your your great grandfather and your grandfather, it's not something that you took from memory. You were seeing them, and I'm and I'm like, well, whose representation of them were they? Well, to address that, my uncle to this day, or for a long time, I don't know what he believes now, but for a long time after this, when I would tell him the story, he said, oh, you saw a photograph of them at the house. That's what that is. And I thought, well, you know, he could be right. Like yeah. my mind could have extrapolated the whole thing and pieced together this visual because why would I be so specific in how I saw my grandfather with this pencil mustache and a, and a white pocket square and a fedora and a gray business suit like a 1950s ad man. Yeah. Um, and, but 
You know, I don't know why I saw my great grandfather in the fishing vest because I had never seen him in that. I, he was a, a, he would wear a suit all the time his whole life. I never saw him relaxed. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I so, have thought that sometimes, and to this day, I think, well, my mind could be. Our minds could be creating all this shit. Because my, my thing is this. My, I, I always, if, if you believe in seeing somebody after in that moment or whatever, I always think that that you would see their best version of themselves. And that's what they're sending out a signal of, of their, because it's not it's not your eyes. Well, however you see them, it's their energy. And so, right. That's exactly what so I saw. So their energy would be. Their best version of themselves. Not that you don't. You don't picture. You but you're saying. You're saying. I. I'm. I'm having a hard time following you because. Because you're saying that his mind projected that, or you're just asking why he I'm, thinks. I'm, his not, mind I'm not saying that. that. I'm saying that your mind, as consciousness, saw another conscious being that was not alive at the time either, and so you're you projected your best version because you weren't all cut up and stuff and they projected their vers- best version and you know, actually were interacting version. he didn't have shoes on so <sighs> well one that- of the things that i always wonder is um was any of it real and i when i was cuz i'm in the coma was so real like i said everything i dreamt in the coma felt so real that after i got home from the hospital i'd be sitting there in my house looking around at stuff and thinking, well, is this like, is any of this real? Yeah. And then a friend of mine goes, what if I told you you were still in that coma? And this is like seven months later and I fucking flipped out and started crying because of all the shit I had already tried (laughs) to do to get well. That poor guy. Oh, but he feels awful about that. (laughs) Oh, he laughs about it. And it it was like, how, how did it happen? I mean, how did how did it happen that I get in a car accident and uh, did my mind really create it? Did my mind really manifest something that would help me in a moment of shock to feel comfort? Because because some of, pineal gland bullshit yeah, yeah, that helps you that to survive moments of severe trauma. When when you're about when your body knows it's dying, your pineal gland secretes the DMT, the DMT. Yeah. and like that's such a. If you talk to anybody who's done DMT, it's like such a surreal thing. Even though there's weird things too, where like people say like they've inter- encountered the same beings as other people, and you're actually seeing another dimension that. At any rate, I, I like I I personally believe that DMT is is releasing that to to let your consciousness slip from the physical realm, and so it it, it prepares you by giving you this acid trip uh, of to to give you an abstract feeling, so that because our consciousness is abstract, and so to leave the physical realm, you're not you're not going to get it just stepping into consciousness. And so you need the, the 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 DMT is the the I don't know how to describe it the elevator that takes you to the next level. That, it's the it's yeah. no yeah I mean you described it perfectly. Okay, it's good. like morphine when you're <laughs> getting surgery. It's 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 like a numbing effect for a tragedy, right? Um, it, you must have been to like people to talk about this, right? Or I actually haven't gone to anybody. Really? So no. you haven't like had any of this analyzed or anything like that? I told a therapist in the hospital about it, and I've told priests about it, and I've told 
friends about it, but I've never sat down with a therapist and analyzed what it was. Mm-hmm. So is there, I mean, it's, what, 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 why or why not have like, I just figured it was part of the whole experience that I mean, the therapist came to my room every day when I was in the hospital. So I, I mean, I told him about it and he didn't really stop and go, well, let's talk about this whole thing. Right. He was there to evaluate if I was going to have a, an emotional yeah, breakdown. He's got a hundred. If I had like to tried to, to kill him. myself, well, mm-hmm. he would spend a few hours there every day with me. And, uh, so, I, I just haven't. I, but that's you, a good idea. So what should I, who about? should I talk to about? <laughs> I fucking don't know. <laughs> but, but that's what's like weird a therapist? about I've, no, I've looked at like no, the people who write books, people who write books about it. And, you know, people like that one kid that wrote the heaven is for real book. Like my sister sent that to me after I told her the story. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've, I look for the similarities to go, oh, well, that's like what I saw or that's yeah. not. Or I didn't see Jesus. Right. Or, you know, whatever it is. I. But so there, like, there will be someone that will that will be right for you. But the thing is, most therapists won't be because I wouldn't say a therapist. That's not that's not what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Okay. I I I guess I just imagine a a, a weird like a Chuck Palahniuk worlds or whatever that guy's fucking name is, where you can find like a support group of like other. Uh, near-death experience people but that's like a fantasy world of course that no that exists that totally exists really totally groups of nde people that get together and but at the end of the day what are you doing you're just fucking talking about your experience so you're sharing some emotional connection about what you saw and then what do you do from there then you have all these other people in your life that you might not even want in your life Yeah, exactly i mean that sounds like a bummer to me honestly well whether it's a bummer or not, it just is like inviting a change to what you experience on a daily basis. It's inviting someone else into my life that's like... And who wants that? Possibly fucked up from a near-death experience. I would much rather sit at home and play video games. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, but you're not curious at all about like sort of, even on your own, just analyzing like you pulled the bark off the tree and there was blood. Like, somebody, I did talk to somebody about that actually. Um I did talk. I don't remember what the person was or who they were, but uh-huh. I remember when they. Oh no! It was like a spiritual woman up in uh, Ojai. My wife and I took a vacation up there, and there was like, "Oh, let me read your cards." And okay, we did that. And mm-hmm. So she read the cards, and then I told her the stuff that happened, and um, she didn't really have a concrete answer about it, but she did say something that was comforting about it, like there was an. She had a, an answer about what the kids were, what the what everything resembled, and um, like why my relatives were there. And um, I've had two people tell me that this great grandfather of mine is like kind of a spiritual guide in my life. And she talked about how there's people like seven generations behind you and seven generations in front of you that are all in touch with you, and they're all like around you all the time, mm-hmm. helping you do stuff. That's the that's the road that that all goes down. You start going down a road and where people are like, "Do you buy into that shit at all?" Well, then or? you have to like really start questioning yeah. it and going, "Well, because my sister goes this- to like a, a a fucking whatever, and she's like, you have Tarot three, readers. yeah, like some of that whatever, yeah, like the people up on Sunset where you go and there's like the neon sign out in front and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I never would go to one of those. I think they're all sort of like sketchy people. Yeah, that's what I think. Get drunk, go in, get your cards read, give me a hundred bucks. Sure. 
So I, that's kind of one of the reasons I haven't gone to that road. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because I'm like, it, if somebody's credible in that realm, I don't think they're they're advertising with neon. Well, not only that, they're not doing a talk show on Fox. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very hard to be credible in that realm because if you profit off of it in any way, people are like, "Well, you're just a, you're just." Yeah, there is a big thing that I came to realize about it, and um, it's it's probably a stupid thing, but I figured out that there were like three levels of existence that we're all experiencing at any given moment. One of them is this room right here, or this world, like where everything's physical. You drink a beer, you drink a coke, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's real. It's the real world. The other one is like what the Native Americans created that we totally take for granted, which is that they are dominated by this notion of the spirit world, and they acknowledge it. The earth is part of it. All the animals are part of it. And the white culture has nothing to do with it. It's bred to be completely 100% in this bullshit, things Mm -hmm. that are fabricated to help your body live. And then there's the spirit world where all the Native Americans really have access to through all of their practices and their cultural stories they pass down through storytelling. And then there's the internet. And one day, that's going to completely blend both of those. Right. Because our consciousness will be this thing that gets uploaded to the internet in some way. And, um, you know, things like physical therapists and uh, doctors, well, they'll only be needed just to, like, sort of repair the machine that is your body because so you you're picturing like way down the line we yeah a couple hundred years down the line it's like the internet will really kind of evolve into this big thing that combines our bodies and our minds on this third level of reality it's just starting out now and it'll grow into whatever the hell it's going to be are we going to make it or is it going to be too it's going to be too long. We won't make it. It what well, it has to be it has to be kind of like a uh us becoming aware of it because um there, there No, I just, don't mean physically producing. Are we going to manufacture? I mean, are, we are the three are of us here going to live long oh, enough? Oh no, no, to... but but my but I think that uh, we could because people are starting to look in that realm. Like uh, what I was going to bring up was that do you even want that to like live forever? <laughs> Such a talk show host the, question. Uh, the, um, I think that you do because <laughs> there are people it's every day. It's not a talk show host question. Well, it's like, did you watch the latest uh, Black Mirror season? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Seen it all right, yet. All right, so the mind. thing about that question you just asked is, do you want to be a part of this dystopian or possibly utopian your utopian series you guys did a while back, the utopian series, utopian dystopian question right is is the world gonna get so fucked up that you don't even want to be a part of that shit you want to have it good where it's like oh man people still have cassette players and they still use flip phones. sure are you gonna go into the future where nobody talks to each other they just have a fucking headset on if they right. communicate it's through a computer like a wally thing or yeah whatever. yeah like a wally world where everything everybody got fat the whole thing broke down mm-hmm. The question is up to you. It's whether you hold on to what life is like now or you embrace the, uh, what it's going to yeah, become. It's you know, hard. Somebody asked the, okay, I keep bringing up these coin flip uh, experiments, right? Um, basically what a lot of the, you know, they're trying to figure out, hey, coin flip, is it, is it truly 50-50? Are odds really 50-50, whatever? And, and a lot of the experiments have come to show that whoever is putting on the experiment... That they're 
their consciousness of what they think the outcome would be actually affects the outcome more than anything else. And yeah, so I somebody asked the Dalai Lama if if this coin flip thing has consciousness. Well, so then you're getting into the realm of belief and belief systems, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if what you believe really has anything to do with anything, Is or if like, something's just going to happen, my you're, you're running fear, an algorithm anyway. My biggest fear of, of the universe, which is like really selfish, is that nobody exists and I'm creating everybody. And, and it scares me because like I, I'd rather have you there and connect to you than, than for it to be just me not, not doing a good job with myself. <laughs> and so I, uh, but, but the Dalai Lama's answer was if you, if you believe that the, the coin flip thing has a consciousness, then you gave it to it. And so it's like your, our minds are powerful enough to to give that consciousness. So it's interesting you say that about the internet because I'm like, if people start to think that the internet could have a consciousness or 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 that like we could actually bring that to fruit, fruition. For, yeah, thank you. I was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> Fruitopia is that what fruit you're thinking? Nation? Yeah, fruit stripe <laughs> gum. You know, we could bring it to fruit stripe gum. It's so good for a second. Oh my god! And, and then, then you gotta spit it out, uh, just well, like the internet, right? Just like juicy fruit <laughs> before it. Hubba bubba! Screw that shit. <laughs> so let me ask you. You said at some point um, that you weren't spiritual before. Does that mean that you are now? Well. Yeah, yeah. Like and in, also, in, like, the thing about his coin flip question uh -huh. does kind of relate exactly to that. Like, I believe that you create whatever you say. Because doctors gave me 1% chance of survival. They said I'd never walk again. They said I'd be pissing in a bag for my whole life. And I, and my wife did this thing where she was told by a business partner of mine, don't see him as he looks right now. See him the way you want him to be. See him well. See him thriving. Don't look at him in the hospital bed or the wheelchair, sick, not being able to sit up. Look at him living life, making movies again, doing whatever it is that he wants to do. And so I would say these things every day to vocalize it out, out loud. I would say it out loud. And I have it hanging on my mirror. Every day I get better and faster and stronger and cuter. And everything happens in the best possible way for my full and complete recovery. And, you know, it's not some, you know, kind of hokey thing other than I I really believe it because it, it worked for me. It's something that we kind of get into. <clears throat> we haven't really talked about it in full, but we, it seems like almost every episode this comes up where it's like this the secret thing, the the vision board. Whatever like the, you believe in. Vision boards. Is, well, what you say... Real. I, I really believe what you say becomes real. So you're spiritual in that way, but not in like, uh, now I need to be Christian and like absolve myself. Well, no, sins. because then that would take me away from the Buddha or the Quran or whatever the fuck every other religion worships. Uh huh. Because I think like that's all valid too. I right. think whatever brings you to a state of mind where you are actually communicating on a higher level, you're quote-unquote vibrating at a higher vibration yeah where you're paying attention to something more important than mundane bullshit stuff trying to get food or fire where you're 
you're it's funny that you use vibration too because that's another thing that always comes up because of string theory and stuff like that and like that a table's not actually solid right just the everything's doing it yeah because and the only reason it's it's weird that you're saying these things is because the doctors gave you a one percent chance and you're sitting here and you look zero than I did different yeah I mean like well, that was God ten years ago so I don't even remember me right <laughs> thanks for having me on anyway. I remember your shows I remember you as one of the the right brothers yeah, yeah. um okay but here's what I want to really I feel so like so much more than that <laughs> I don't know man so much to more me you'll always be Orville right yeah were you even I was Wilbur I was Wilbur damn it thank you <laughs> um I was so, Glenn Fry too for a half a minute I cancelled that series I tried to they made an 11th episode oh come episode. on no, don't worry about that um <laughs> I was in the 11th episode. They're going to yeah, be recording. You took, if you stick around, I think they're right after us. <laughs> yeah, actually. they are. Uh, the Yacht Rock. But okay, here's what I'm curious about, and I feel like we haven't really gotten into... We're fucking an hour in, but we haven't really even talked about yeah, like, the sci-fi talk stuff. About the accident shit. No, but it's fucking fascinating, and there's no reason that we would ever... Talking about bullshit is not going to be as interesting as hearing all of that. Um, but my question is, what do you think... Like, what do you really think it was? Like, do you think that there's an afterlife because of this? And, like, you know. I think there is, and I think it's a really fucking bizarrely different thing from all this shit that we experience. Whatever this is that we're doing, like, how is this important in, in the scope of anything? Because, anything. because in a year and a half, people our... are going to get a Bigfoot movie where he oh goes into different travels, dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I mean, like, not just this, like, anything. Like, how is anything that important? Well, right. Okay, like, this is what this is the thing that I always try to tap into. And, Dude, and you saw aliens flying over a gas station. How in the world is, you know, <laughs> driving to a Samuel French and picking up a script important at all after seeing well, that's, something that, like that. That was the weird that was the weird shift in my life because I was like, wow, you know, I love comedy and I want to be funny, but I also think it's important to figure out what the fuck is going on because when you take let's say you take aliens, there's no fucking way that any of us can conceptualize what they are, what they're thinking, but what their existence is. But that's all based on an idea of what we've seen in movies, so we don't know, actually. We don't know. But also, you're, 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 you're saying it's not possible for us to see how the sausage is made. So even if we did, there would be no point. Well, my point is, because I'm a big Star Wars fan, I'm a big Trekkie, is like the future human race. It's like we are going to be dealing with aliens in the future. We have been forever. And like the way that we, we don't even accept each other. We don't accept each other. We judge everybody and yeah. every, I, I work on the talk and to hear them gossiping all day is like this weird thing. Where because like, people feel better about themselves that when they job. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but like, but like we don't you gotta, accept you gotta pay ourselves. You got to pay rent, man. And, and we don't even accept when I say ourselves, I meant we don't accept other humans. We also don't accept ourselves. You know what I love to do in my mind is go back in history and look at like how shit was. Like, like, like the medieval ages, right? Whenever that was. What was that, like 1500s? 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm <laughs> yeah. bad at that it's, shit. Yeah, like anything before 1800, you're like, yeah, uh, sure. Anything before... Um, okay, so go yeah, back yeah. then. Like, nothing existed, but a table in a kitchen of, like, rotting meat sitting on the counter. Right. That was it. That yeah. was life. Yeah. You try and fuck some chambermaid somewhere, not get stabbed, not get a disease. You'd live, like, 35 years at best. Right. Everything that we have in the, in this world now, it looks like if we go in the future and we see like flying shit and like the whole world differently, it'll be like that drastic same difference, but applied to who we are today versus medieval times to now. Yeah, It'd be today till like a um, hundred years. Did you see Battlestar Galactica? The planet doesn't kill us. Did you watch that reboot, Battlestar Galactica? I didn't. Um, they made a, another spinoff called Caprica, and it was basically how the Cylons oh, were, awesome. were built. Uh, and basically, it was the 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 this race of people on Caprica. They were in this uh, app, basically living in this app. Um, you know, you jack in, and if you died in the app, you weren't allowed back in. So your life was precious on in this inter- internet realm. I'm gonna watch that now. And um, it, like, it's terrible, but it's good. The concept's well, like really good. To, do you need to watch Battlestar Galactica to watch? Oh uh, yeah, be, yeah, you should watch Battlestar. The it's new really Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. The new, it's like, of the it's old like one. fifteen so years good. old, but yeah. But uh, uh, <laughs> basically, this guy's daughter, um, she died. But her, she had been in that and on the internet so much that her 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 consciousness was trapped in this internet, and they found her and put her into a robot, and that's how the Cylons became um, um, how they started having consciousness it was connected actually, to each other. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it's just interesting because I'm like that concept is actually so much closer, not that we even understand consciousness any more than we ever have, but the things that we're creating might be, let, let's say let's say reincarnation is possible, and we are uh, sent beings that choose a human existence, like I, I'm, I'm on, kind of on board with that. Right. Well, what happens when they build a, ro- a robot or an AI machine that you is able to that? house that, and you can choose that? I like that. I've never when does that happen? thought of that. Well, they just came out in the news today and talked about robot rights. Robots are now being addressed as possibly having <laughs> human rights. It's way rights. too soon for that. It is. <laughs> it is in. Because <laughs> Room, Roomba... Just... What the... Yeah. <sighs> Listen, Man. if I want to kill my Roomba... If I'm not allowed to turn off my Roomba... Oh, my God. Robot not that I have one. I want thing. one. Robot, we have... <laughs> None of us have one. We just use different comedy. <laughs> it's a thing now. And, um, you know... The only thing that people are going to do is have sex with these robots. Who cares about it? It's like the minute that they make an affordable sex bot that's like semi-programmable to look hot, every guy's not going to leave the house anymore. No one's going to procreate. Who cares? If they get robots rights before they make these sex machines, that might actually, that's going to be even worse because then... Because then it's like, what what wasted technology? (laughs) Like, we could have been fucking that. But now you have to get consent. Yes. (laughs) Fuck so that was the thing that was the main thing um the other thing that you asked about like my spirituality and stuff is, right i mean i think it all could be made up every single thing that we're doing i think every single thing that we could, could just be like some great narrative i think it is we all came up i with. mean how could it not be well here, here's the basically difference. we live in entirely planned communities anyway like yeah when you picture picture the best feeling you've ever had in your life right 
Whatever that is. I, I know it's hard to just grab onto that right now. Mm. But there but there are moments that I have where I feel so good, where I'm like, this feeling transcends my existence. And and it usually deals with gratitude and love. And I'm like, th- this is a feeling that is not an emotion. It is actually its own thing. And so, I, I don't know. I... I when you when uh, when you when you get to that point not that it just stays with you but when you get to be empathetic and and like i fucking teared up like six times today watching this bullshit that i don't agree with you know watching the talk my, my nde video oh <laughs> but i mean like when i when you i teared see, up watching the talk yeah when, whenever i see whenever i see somebody <laughs> like awesome. like they were showing clips of videos you know whatever and like whenever i see somebody feeling good like i attach to that and i feel good too you right know, like okay and but i feel like that 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 feeling is not I, to me, that's almost proof that there's something outside of our body's existence because there's no reason. I, I know that I'm plugging myself in or whatever. You can come up with a million reasons why people don't feel things or why they do, but I'm like, I feel like that those feelings actually transcend is is a way to make us evolve better. Is to connect to is the human side. Is that what this life is supposed to be about? Evolving or, or gro- growing or learning something from? I think our if we're going to grow spiritually, it, it has to come from love and empathy. But there are people who don't have either of those things. Yeah, that's true. And to assign it to something greater than you, wouldn't that mean that everybody would have to have it? Uh, I think anybody is able to step on, s- jump into the river, but everyone's on the outside, and some people aren't looking in that direction. Well, basically. no, no, that's not true. You don't get to choose if you're empathetic or not. Uh, no, no, you don't get to choose, but it's like you have to, you have to feel it to know that it's there. I don't know what I'm saying. I guess what I'm saying is, <laughs> wait, is, no, what you're saying is you would, you have to feel in touch with your emotions to actually be able to communicate on that level yeah that's what you're saying and and, and we're so far removed i think that that. there's so many things that happen outside of los angeles and california for in other parts of the world where people have to deal with real shit yeah they don't get chances to to even have time to think about that stuff like if you go to india this is just surviving you're just fucking trying not to like take a bath in shit right and uh trying to get a piece of food or if you go into the, like, I, I shot this movie out in West Virginia once, and they flew me in, and I was, like, walking around, kind of, we were in this hotel that was a rundown hotel that, like, completely was abandoned, except for this guy who bought it for, like, 10 grand. And all the people of the town would just come around and just go to the bar and hang out drunk on the street, and that's all they cared about. Yeah. They had no jobs. They had nothing to do. I, they had no money. Nothing. I'm saying, though, that, that they had when, no time when to think you of. attach to that that buzz, that alcoholic feeling, that whatever, like cigarettes, beer, weed, drugs, whatever, yeah, the release. That, that disconnects you from yourself. And that we, as a society, are disconnecting. I'm not saying that everyone's drunk in poor countries. It but, takes your presence. But you, we you're, you're disconnect pre- from what we are. Yeah, I would 100% disagree with that. Like some of some of the most kind of personal moments I've ever had have been with the help of 
alcohol altering yeah, yeah. no like, i agree like with that too Charles but i think Bukowski. it's because oh man right you know what i have to i really have to Dude, take a break and how, how do you how do you have we can't take a break the show's over <laughs> it's been over an hour piss in your fanny pack oh, fucking, oh man Listen, i'm like no you've been a great guest i could do this for me forever <laughs> this should have been like a two-part episode well why don't i come back another time you can we'll definitely come back anytime you want because i because i because i what what i would love to get into is just like a, a life philosophy with you because I feel like I would like completely vibe with it. Um, but thank you for being here. What was your charity again? That you're that artists you for trauma, and then the play that you're taking to New York, the yeah. tragedy of JFK, as told by William Shakespeare. And then anything else that you feel like? Um, well, all I gotta say is because they gave me marijuana in the hospital, I've really taken time to sort of be a part of a lot of these in, these companies. One of them, we grow a lot of hemp out in uh, Carolina. So this is a for-profit. Yeah, for-profit uh, pot company. I feel like, can I get, an, uh, is there money I can yes, give you? Okay. Yes, yes. Because I might want to do that. Because I was thinking the other day, like, why oh, am I, I not I researched, I researched all the companies that are traded on the, like, the stock exchange. Yeah, I feel like. Because I wanted to get invested in the in like that market, but I didn't want to, like, go to jail for a felony. Right. <laughs> okay, have, let's let Willie go to stuff. the bathroom. Willie, Thanks again. Uh, Wade, thank you guys Yeah, so yeah. Uh, any, anything else you want to plug? Um, just the fact that I'm looking for acting parts and um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure in pre-production and development on a, a time-traveling... Um, uh, Bigfoot? Bigfoot. Interdimensional. Yeah, it's not time yeah I, we, we don't have the title yet. So. <laughs> uh, it's obviously interdimensional Bigfoot. It's um, That's going to put butts in um, the seats. That will. That will. Uh, I'm Thank do, you guys. What do you, FordAustin.com, I'm sure, exists. Uh, uh, EmployedActor.com. EmployedActor. Oh, all right. EmployedActor.com. All easy. right. Thank Go you. Check, check me out on IMDb. And anywhere I'm on uh, social media, it's Angry Baby Monkey, all spelled out, all one word. Great. <laughs> or anywhere you see the the unicorn version of me. That's oh, me. I've seen that. I like that. That's me. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Get your life together. Oh, oh wait. Hold on. I also uh, want to throw out. I know. I know. You have to pee so bad. Oh, I know. I know. But we're doing the McMenamins Festival in, in, in May. We're going up to Oregon to go to this UFO festival, the McMenamins Festival. Oh, can I go? Um, that's going to be fucking cool. Yeah, you cool. can join us, man. And uh, yeah. Okay. That's it. All right, Thanks, guys. Look it up, McMenamins. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in future episodes. Get your life together. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Feral Audio. Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior. Happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? <laughs> 
devilishly handsome, not even a little bit Italian looking. So get that out of your dumb brain. <laughs> Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. One day. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even? Why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype, <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P in Spanish, oh my he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. 